0: Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan.
1: Our first reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, the desert shall rejoice and blossom, Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear, here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. But the unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God.
0: The Gospel reading this morning and on every third Sunday of Advent is Mary's song, The Beloved Magnificat. Listen for a word of God, and then a little bit later, we'll talk about the context out of which this song comes. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for God has looked with favor on the lowliness of God's servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is God's name, whose mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God's arm has shown strength. God has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich empty away. God has helped God's servant Israel in remembrance of God's mercy according to the promises made to our ancestors, to Abraham and Sarah and to their descendants forever." The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Did you notice the full moon on Thursday night? The cold moon, as the ancients called the one that happens in December. The bluster of the waning year has long since stripped away the last of the comfortable leafy canopy under which we like to live, and the sky that night was scoured deep and clean with every obstacle gone between us and the depths of time and space that hover always over our heads. That night, near the edge of autumn and newborn winter, with the Michigan gray out of the way at last, at least temporarily. It was as though you could see our place in the sacred geometry of things, see it and feel it in a way that was both sobering and ecstatic. How little we are, how much a part of interwoven orbits and unfathomable mysteries we are. That night, everything was looking up. And then, of course, there are other times too, like yesterday, when the sky fills up with something that it takes a long time to be ready to express. Sometimes, so do we. A few weeks ago in the church's weekly email, Our Life Together, I told a story of a local TV news anchor person that I met while serving my first congregation some years ago. She had surprised herself by starting to come to church after having stayed away through most of her young adult life. As we became friends, she told me, that she'd felt that her career as a journalist required her to be as detached and unsentimental as possible, but that over time she had begun to find that attitude of holding everything at arm's length was less and less adequate to sustain her inner life because she said magnificently, unforgettably, there wasn't enough room in that attitude for the expression of her yearning. As she started looking up again into the wide and deep sky within her, around her, above her, she told me that yearning was her point of access to her own spirituality. I told her that she reminded me of a line of the poet W.H. Auden, The most real thing about us is that we are waiting. Advent is teaching us this year that waiting and yearning are about waking up and going deep, being honest about the despair that longs deeply for hope in this world, and paying attention to the fear that longs deeply for peace at this time, and naming the sadness, as Mel did so beautifully, the sadnesses that crave joy. Staying awake to those who wait for the sadness of a fresh loss to abate, or those who wait for the cause of their fear to dissipate, or those who wait to learn whether the treatment is working, or those who are disillusioned or bitter about the way things are going in the world. Awakening to our own yearning, especially if you've been absent from yourself for some time, is a way to locate yourself under the widest sky, not holding the cold moon at arm's length, but reaching into the depths to grab it. The season of waiting is the season Of looking up. The young woman Mary may not have known how deep the sky was over her head or even that she was waiting. The most real thing about us is not always the thing we know best about ourselves, is it? But in just about every depiction of the Annunciation that I've ever seen in paint or in print or in Christmas pageants, Mary is indeed looking up from sewing or reading, or praying, looking up to discover to her surprise that she is not alone, that she is on the edge of something far deeper than she had supposed, looking up to see the sky like an ocean full of wings and stars, starting to fill with something whose significance will yet take some time to fully express itself. Well, you remember how the story goes. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a young woman engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Her name was Mary. The angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by these words and wondered what sort of greeting this might be. So the angel said, do not be afraid, you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive and bear a child, and you will name this child Jesus, who will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High, to whom the Lord will give the throne of his ancestor David, and there will be no end to this kingdom." Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have not been with a man? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High, and the child to be born will be holy. They will call him Son of God, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be. And the angel departed. The angel Gabriel, the harbinger of the fulfillment of Mary's waiting, brings the answer to a question that had perhaps not yet quite finished condensing on Mary's lips. Mary doesn't find all this easy to grasp at first, no more prepared maybe than we are to exchange the familiarity of our yearning for the answer to prayer. So Gabriel speaks those few words to break a wedge of peach-colored light through the sky of this news he brings. With God, says Gabriel, nothing will be impossible. And when Mary hears those words there looking up, she begins to feel her place in the sacred geometry of things. With God, nothing will be impossible. New Testament scholar Fred Craddock calls those words of Gabriel's the creed behind all other creeds. The church should recite those words often, Craddock says, not only at the manger, not only at the empty tomb, but on any occasion of reflecting on its life and joy and hope. Well, this is the season for looking up, for holding the way things are up into the new light that the darkness has not overcome, nor the cold either, nor the worry, nor the weariness. Waking up, To the way things are and the way they could be, the way God wants them to be. So maybe this creed behind all other creeds is what's left after the bluster strips all the leaves away. The creed of our yearning for the sky to reveal what it's been brooding about our yearning for God to teach us the way to a place where we can be safe again, to a time where we can undo the causes of such deep anger, to a way of being together that doesn't cost so much in blood and tears. With God, nothing is impossible. Sometimes a creed, does its best work when it startles us back to belief. If you read the Greek of Gabriel's reassurance to Mary in the Gospel of Luke, the literal syntax is, because not impossible will be every word from God. I like the way that this gets the two little morphemes, not and im, right next to each other where they can have their elemental class right out there in front of the world perhaps putting not and m side by side enables them to work that odd alchemy that has mystified me ever since grade school arithmetic making a positive out of two negatives what certainly There are a multitude of negatives that have ended up side by side in the light of the cold moon this season, aren't there? Unrequited anger, unsoothed fear, vengeful pride, cynicism, and despair. All these lurk just outside the warm circle that we try to draw around what we hope is true in this season. The bitter conviction that certain mistakes once made can never be unmade. That loneliness is the final word. That the little shards of time that are all that's left for things that really matter. The habit of retaliation where the habit of forgiveness used to be. The hope of community shattered by the shat sound of gunshots. Again. So if this is creed, probably it will have to find us in the middle of all those negatives and startle us into belief, because not impossible. Maybe what will make it work is saying it over and over again, like one of those little keeping warm mantras that you repeat while hopping from one foot to the other in front of a little reassuring fire in the kind of cold that makes you able to see your breath. Do the dance with me, I'll say. Say the creed. Maybe it'll help keep us warm. Not impossible. Not impossible. Not impossible. And if we should pull out this little pocketful of words in all our occasions of life, joy and hope, like when the medicine works, or when the journey ends safely, or when the good news comes, then maybe we should whisper it too in all our occasions of emptiness and anxiety and sorrow. I wonder how it would sound then, what it would feel like on our lips as it congealed there, or in our ears to hear it, not impossible, that we could find our way back from the edge of anxiety about the future of our beloved community not impossible that we can heal from the anger that we felt even towards each other not impossible that this long year or two of waiting could finally be fruitful for us not impossible that our weariness will give way to wonder again not impossible that God might come to inhabit this edge time and speak with the voice of a shepherd to lead us back to ourselves, back to each other. Why am I here knowing what I know about myself? Because not impossible. Why do we bother knowing what's perfectly obvious about the world? Because not impossible. Oh, there are some years when the songs of the angels seem to start early and you can see enough by the light of the four little candles to find your way to the place where your waiting has already been fulfilled to see a birth that has already taken place. But there are other years, aren't there, when what we follow into the longest night towards Christmas are knots and ims. And maybe if on Christmas Eve... We were to fall silent beside the manger, keep a hush between the carols and among all the sentimentalities that tempt us. What we'd hear is the monumental clanking together of not and impossible, beating against each other, laboring toward a difficult birth, beating out a psalm of yearning as deep as the polished winter sky, that nation should not lift up sword against nation, and that the arid deserts of our public life should rejoice and blossom, and that the waters of civility and forbearance and respect shall break forth in the wilderness as the prophet promised, that mercy and truth shall meet together because not impossible. Breathing out the injustice that Craves reversal and beating out the arrogance that cries out to be brought low. Beating out terrible memories and sorrows and unfinished things against the ice that seems to have formed over the wellsprings of goodness and mercy. Beating loneliness against loneliness until they companion each other. Beating not and im against each other, edge against edge, and beating them into plowshares that can furrow this frozen time so that it can conceive at last and bear God's own life among us. The angelic news from the depth of the sky opens Mary to her own yearning. And on the edge of an entirely new season, that's when all the things that she turns out to have been waiting for, yearning for, form themselves as a song on her lips and in her heart, just as they will do for you, perhaps, when we sing together her song in just a minute. She has awakened to what God is up to among us. All the things she has been waiting for, she awakened Waiting for before she awakened to any sense that it all might come to pass. The exaltation of the lowly and the satisfaction of ancient hungers for bread and for justice and the humbling of the mighty and the silencing of the arrogant, please, and the scattering of the proud in the imagination of their hearts. The wind blows, the leaves have dropped. The world is wider and deeper than we ever used to realize, and it matters so much what we yearn for. But we are not alone. Everything now is looking up. God is coming to meet us on the edge with a love that will teach us love and show us our place in the sacred geometry of God's own heart. Out of all this labor, God is bringing to birth a life that, if we follow it, will mark a way that will be abundantly sufficient to the expression of all our yearning. May it be so. Amen.
2: Let us pray. Holy One, creator of all, we give thanks to you for every blessing. You are generous to us beyond measure. Keep us filled with gratitude for every gift of life, for family, friends, and the privilege of giving back to you. As we bring back what we have this day, we ask your blessing upon it, that this church may be a balm for a world in need, still and forever wrapped in your holy and healing love. Amen. Pray with me once again. Wonderful God, in the haste and anticipation of the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ, kindle in us the desire to remain awake, that we might be ready for Christ's coming and eager to pray. O God, in the days to come, the mountain of your house will be established and your joy shall reign. We pray for the church that you might teach us your ways and that we might walk in your paths. We pray for our nation and all nations, that your peace would be manifest in every corner of the earth. In your kingdom, O God, wolves lie down with lambs, and children play with serpents without fear. We pray for the sick, the suffering, and those in distress of any kind, that you would heal all injuries and comfort all grief. In the fullness of time, O God, you sent your Son to be born of our sister Mary, And his name was Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you for your presence with us. And we pray that you might be always present with those whom we love, but see no longer. Come among us, O God, and hear our prayers, so that when your son Jesus comes again among us with great might and in a manger mild, we might recognize his face and voice and come to adore him. Now let us pray the way that Jesus has taught us